I want to thank you for joining into our Bible study this evening, and I want to encourage you to have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 2, and tonight we'll be looking at two verses in particular, verses 8 and 9. I know it's been a little bit since we've been in this study, but we have been working through what it means to be saved, developing a scriptural understanding of salvation. And as we began in Ephesians chapter 2, we understood from the onset that we were brought to life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were walking, as verse 2 said, according to the course of this world. We were under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. We were bound by our old nature and our flesh, children of disobedience, naturally speaking, under the wrath of Almighty God. But God quickened us. He brought us to life, and we studied out those verses where we grasped that God was rich in mercy and He was great in love. And it is an amazing grace that saved us. That word, saved, is rooted here in this passage of Scripture. And tonight we're going to move on forward to what is probably the core of our understanding here in Ephesians chapter 2 of what it means to be saved. And I know that these are familiar verses. Maybe they're verses that are memorized along the lines of a John 3.16. We know this. Verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is, in a nutshell, salvation. Our understanding of how and what it is and what it is not about being saved. As we work through this passage, we are realizing a truth about ourselves. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were under dominion and we were under wrath. But God, who was rich in mercy, great in love, and amazing in grace, unstoppable in power, quickens us at salvation. How does that salvation actually occur? And these verses tell us it is grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot save yourself. You cannot earn or merit heaven or salvation or reconciliation with God on any of your efforts. Try as you may, you and I fall woefully short of saving ourselves. I love this story. There's the story of a young man who was riding his donkey down the road. As he was riding his donkey down the road, he came upon a small bird which was lying on its back in the middle of the road. There he was, this little tiny bird with his two thin little bird legs pointed skyward. At first, the young man thought that the sparrow was dead, and when he found the bird was alive, he got down from his donkey and he went over to speak to the bird. And in this story, this bird speaks, and he asked the bird, are you all right? And the bird said, yes, 
The young man said, then what are you doing lying on your back with your legs pointed into the air? The sparrow replied, haven't you heard the rumor? No, what is the rumor? He said, the sky is falling. They're saying the sky is falling. So the young man laughed and he said, well, surely you don't think you're going to hold it up with your two little scrawny bird legs, do you? And after a long pause, the little bird looked at him and with a solemn face, he said, one does the best one can. One does the best one can kind of summarizes the world's philosophy when it comes to salvation. One does the best one can. The reality is when you hear a little story like that, silly as it is, it is flippant to think that two little bird legs could hold up the sky. And as dramatic as that imagery is, that's how silly it is to think that somebody could save themselves. These two verses really declare unto us the truth in three parts. They tell us how God saves us, that is by grace. It tells us the channel through which grace comes, that is faith. And it tells us on the opposite end, how God does not save us, and that is not of works. It is all of grace, all of grace. One wrote this, there's a common denominator in the religious world. The common denominator in all man-made religions is works. He went on, every religion devised by man requires him to put forth some sort of effort to practice his religion or achieve his salvation. It might be something he has to give up to please his God. It might be some work of the flesh like baptism or good deeds or self-punishment that he performs to win the favor of his God. The fact is man in his natural state thinks or is compelled to try to earn his salvation. This is as old as human history itself, for when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they covered their nakedness with leaves that they found, woefully inadequate, trying to hide from God, trying in some way to remedy, to patch up what they had lost, what was irreparably broken by their sin. And really, that's passed down as death did to all men from the sin of Adam. So has this effort, naturally speaking, to repair that breach, to save ourselves. Humanity is attempting to please God, sometimes by moral character. Sometimes they're attempting to put back together broken righteousness, which is obviously an impossibility. They'll never achieve the standard of God's righteousness. In fact, even as we arrive here in Ephesians chapter 2, the very foundation of it is, you hath he quickened which were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead people can do nothing. We are quickened by the Spirit of God. As you study the Scripture, in fact, there's nothing within the Scripture that shows us that Jesus is simply attempting to patch up human nature. 
that Jesus is coming to assist us in salvation or to reform us to have a better life. Rather, he has come and salvation is a recreation. Listen, John 3, 7, as Jesus is speaking there, he says, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. That's a recreation, not a reformation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we read, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is not an assistance. This is not a patching up. This is not merely a reform of behavior. This is a new creation. Salvation is all of Grace. Spurgeon said this, Because God is gracious, therefore sinful men are forgiven. They are converted. They are purified, saved. It's not because of anything in them or that ever can be in them that they are saved, but because of the boundless love, goodness, pity, compassion, mercy, and grace of God. It is completely un merited favor. Nothing that you or I ever do, have done, or will do earns us salvation. It is grace. In fact, he'll come back in these verses and he'll call it the gift of God. He'll tell us it's not of works. It is all of grace. How freeing is that? It's all of grace through faith. Through faith, that's so important for us to understand. How does this gift of salvation, how does this free gift of eternal life become mine? Through faith. Faith, as we understand it there, is referring to a conviction of the truth of something. A conviction of the truth of something. It is a belief. To simplify this, it would be that saving faith is coming to the place where one believes with absolute conviction that everything the Bible says about Jesus is true. Salvation is not the result of doing anything. It is the result of a sinner simply taking God at his word and submitting to God's plan of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Through faith, this conviction of the truth of something, this belief. Scripture is intensely clear on this. Listen to Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. John three 16, you've heard this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. As the gospel was spreading and the first century church was expanding in Acts 16.31, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Bible is clear on this matter. The way of salvation is by taking God at his word and believing the gospel. It is of grace. It is unmerited favor that we have access to salvation. The channel is through faith. It is a serious conviction in something. It is a belief. What am I believing in? I am believing in with conviction the gospel. 
What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel, the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 4.25, speaking of Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. A conviction of the truth of the gospel. A belief in what the Bible says to be true about Jesus Christ. About the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, faith then is not a gut feeling. Faith is not something that I just wish to be true. Faith is not some positive mental attitude only. I believe, I rest all of my weight upon. With conviction, I hold this to be true. The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Faith means this is not based upon my feelings. It's based upon the facts of Scripture. Let me reference Spurgeon yet again. He, he believes and he expounds on this three elements that are involved here. Knowledge, belief, and trust in faith. Knowledge, he said, it's impossible to believe in a thing unless we know what it is we believe. In the biblical sense here, we must know, we must have knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've just expounded on that. Belief, that's the heart's response. Faith is not merely an intellectual assent to the truth. It is a response in the heart to such knowledge. And then trust. Trust there, that commitment, casting yourself upon Christ, resting on his promises, promises, accepting his finished work on your and my behalf on the cross. Salvation. I was dead. I was under dominion. I was under wrath. But God, rich in mercy, great in love, amazing in grace, quickened me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I understand that gift of eternal life only comes through Jesus, and it is all of grace. There is nothing in me that is good, nothing in me that merits salvation or eternal life or heaven, nothing. The fact is, as Jesus taught on the sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who come to me and realize their pockets are empty, their palms are bare and upturned, they offer nothing. Those are the ones that find salvation. You must have the work of Jesus Christ. How do you get it? Through faith in the gospel. A conviction of something that is true, belief. It is knowledge. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It is the ascent of the heart. I, I, I grasp that. I commit to that. I trust in that. I cast all my weight for my salvation on what Jesus Christ has done. And he concludes that by saying, God does not save you by works. He's coming back. It's all of grace. It's none of works. 
Faith then is something other than a work. Faith is not a deserving action. It's not merely an attitude. That not of yourselves helps us to grasp that. If faith were a virtue, if faith were something we could have, we could work our way to heaven. But faith isn't even a work here. It is not of us. It is all of him, all of grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no glory that we have in achieving or attaining our salvation. It all belongs to God. Now, the beautiful reality of this is that hope is the fallout. Hope is the fallout for all of mankind because of this theological understanding. And that's really what I'm trying desperately to do in our study of Ephesians 2. We'll throw words around saved, born again, eternal life. We'll, we'll throw those things. We, we have right here in these two verses five words. It's grace and faith and saved and gifts gift and works, all of these things we have somewhat of a working knowledge on, but we're taking time in Ephesians 2 to drive down deep what this means for us, what salvation actually is. And this which we are studying is what the world desperately needs. Naturally, from Adam and Eve, they're trying to fill that void. That is the curse of man-made religions. Work your way. Earn your way. You cannot. The world needs the hope that we have, not because it is a Baptistic ideal, not because we're from the Western world, not because merely we're from the United States, but because this is the truth of God's Word. And they are woeful in their sins, and they are wayward in their paths, and they're wandering as they look for some way to reconcile to God, and we know it. It's all of grace. It's through faith in the gospel, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, in the truth of what God has spoken, and it is not of works, lest any man should then take glory in it or feel as though he's achieved or attained it. It's stunning. Let's go back to John chapter 3. The conversation of Jesus with Nicodemus, a man who was a good man, a man who was a rabbi, a man who understood the things of the law. And Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. Everything that you've done falls short. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how you try to close that gap, even Nicodemus, you're not going to make it. You need to be quickened. You're dead. In your trespasses and sins, you're under dominion. You're a child of wrath. You must be brought to life through the rich mercy, the great love, and the amazing grace of God. It is here in John chapter 3 that he says, I know you were born of water, but you must also be born of the Spirit. And we arrive at that verse that we know, for God so loved the world. All the gospels wrapped up in there, for God. That's the genuine source. God, who is the author of life, at creation is also the author of new life at salvation and it can be found in no other the gospel is sourced in god it's his plan for god so loved the world and the word that is used there indicates to us this is not a feeling this is a love of action 
This love is a deep, it is an unconditional love that prompts the next action in that verse, which is the giving. And that word so signifies, in effect, there aren't even enough words in the languages of the earth to express the depth and the height and the length of the love of God. So much so that he gave his only begotten son. Really don't have to elaborate on that any further. Jesus is the only and Jesus is the perfect substitute for our sins. And God loved the world so much that he gave salvation. He gave salvation by giving his only begotten son, Jesus. And then he says that whosoever believeth on him. Whosoever believeth. We've already addressed believeth. And it is an open general invitation for whoever will do that. Spurgeon again said the gospel is for all mankind and no man of woman born need hesitate to trust his soul's eternal interests in the hands of the Son of God. Whoever trusts him shall be saved. That's you. That's your neighbor. That's the most corrupt individual that you can think of in your wildest imaginations. Whosoever believeth in him Whosoever puts all their weight on him and his finished work shall be saved. They will not perish. They will have everlasting life. Again, we're back to kind of tying this to Ephesians 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were on our way to the torment of hell. And when he says, if you believe, you will not perish but have everlasting life, that indicates that unless something is done, you will automatically, your default setting is to perish. This is not like annihilation. This is not disappearing somewhere. This is separation from God. This is the torment of hell for all eternity. It is the second death. I just hope that as we continue to unpack, work through chisel away, work through these words, put together these, these verses in this sequence. We understand what we have in salvation. This eradicates doubt. This generates within us a compassion for the lost. This clarifies our mission. We understand that we are saved. All of grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, is all to the glory of God. I know it takes a little work. No, it takes a little effort. I know there's not a lot of stories in a passage like this, but this is foundational truth for us to understand. And get the gospel, get the gospel, get the truth of the gospel out. If they don't hear it, they don't have a chance to believe it. Tell somebody the truth of the gospel this week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for how this is conveyed through the Holy Spirit to us. Help us, Lord, this week to understand our need for Jesus and those around us and their need for the gospel. May we be compassionate and active to convey the truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening 
by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.